Hello and welcome to our podcast. My name is Fiona Hanrahan and I'm an Intermediary Development and Technical Manager here at Royal London. And today I'm delighted to be joined by three very special guests. We have Jamie Jenkins, who is Royal London's Director of Policy and External Affairs. We also have Claire Moffat, who is our Head of our Development and Technical Team, and Ryan Medlock, our Senior Investment and Development Manager. Now we're talking about the new consumer duty today and the FCA is currently putting the finishing touches to the new consumer duty. And we're expecting to see the final rules and guidance by the 31st of July. And as we count down to that date, we've launched some new research which explores how advisors are getting their businesses ready for what the FCA has described as a fundamental shift in its approach to regulation. So in this session, we're going to dig into the themes which have emerged from this research and discuss how we can best support advisors when these new rules come in. If you'd like to read our full research report, you can download a copy from our website at advisor.royallondon.com forward slash consumer duty. So then, the new consumer duty is almost upon us. Let's start by sharing your thoughts on how you see the industry changing when these new rules come into play. So let's start off with Jamie then, please. Thanks, Fiona. I think this is really quite a big shift and I know not everybody sees it that way just yet, but I think it's it's an evolutionary shift from what was, what is treating customers fairly, if you like, in the current regime to treating customers well and proving it. I think really sort of putting yourself in the customer's shoes and understanding whether or not they got a good service, a good product and the right outcome. Um, So really pushing the boundary, I think, beyond where it is and raising the bar and what's expected. And just, you know, to, to bring that to life a little bit, I think there is, you know, to some extent, a culture under treating customers fairly that 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 means to be compliant. And I think, you know, whilst that remains very important, I think we're pushing beyond that into, you know, beyond just the compliance of what we send to or provide to a customer and actually thinking, you know, what, what kind of outcome did they have on the back of that service or that product? So I think this is a, this is a cultural shift um, and I hope that that's the way that it's, it's embraced. Thanks, Jamie. And what about you, Claire? Have you got anything to add to that? So... The same as Jamie, I think that this is a real shift. I think it's quite interesting, though, because um, as much as it's it's a shift for the industry, I think um, a lot of advisors might feel that, um, you know, from the consumer's point of view, they might not see it much different to begin with. But, you know, and I think we'll talk about this a bit later on, that actually what does happen will change. But whether they'll be told about this consumer duty or... Um, what it means for them up front, well, we don't know, and that might vary. Um, but it is going to mean that it is putting um, greater focus on yourself in their shoes. And and even things like, kind of, would you recommend that to your family and friends? You know, um, so I think that this just is increasing the standards. Um, and it always feels, you know, tough when there's new um compliance regimes, new regulation. But this is just, a, you know, as Jamie said, it's a move on from treating customers fairly. Thanks, Claire. And lastly, Ryan, have you got anything to add to that point? Yeah, thanks, Fiona. So uh, well, I've heard some people talk about consumer duty being, you know, the, the biggest overhaul in regulation since the retail distribution review came in, which was, what, t- 10 years ago, which is yeah, it's a pretty uh, extreme statement to make. But I, I, I think it does 
re reflect this transition or this continued shift that the regulator is going through from moving to a, a system which is predominantly you know rules based regulation to one which is focused more on outcomes and you know as, as, as both Jamie and Claire have, have, have touched on I think that will naturally drive a change in culture uh, obviously it's a move away from you know more tick box type regulation and I think for some firms that is only going to require some small tweaks but clearly for other firms that is going to have a massive massive impact and I think for me the litmus test going forward you know as, as, as Jamie alluded to earlier is moving to treating customers well and, and having processes in play to assess this and review on an ongoing basis. Thanks Ryan. Let's move on to think about some of the challenges then. The FCA's new duty is driven by an ambition to deliver good outcomes for customers and part of this will be making sure that products and services are fit for purpose and their price represents fair value for customers. So where do you think the main challenge, challenges will lie for advisors in meeting this goal? Let's go to Claire first this time. Thanks Fiona. So you know, customer needs are, are always different and what might be good value for one person um, might not be good value for another person. No one size fits all. So I think the starting point is being able to describe the risks of different situations, the costs of products and the benefits that they'll bring to consumers, for example. Um, and, you know, we just need to think about the example of where we might have someone who um, isn't a sophisticated investor, only has a pension. Um, and so for them, they don't need a sophisticated product. They don't need to be on a um, on a platform, perhaps. But then you might have someone who's got many wrappers, who's got very sophisticated investment needs. And for them, you know, the extra cost involved um, in being in a platform or having discretionary fund management, then that is something that would be really beneficial for them. I think one of the main challenges, though, is going to be evidence. Um, and I think firms are going to have to look at the resource they've got, um, especially thinking about kind of the, the role of the principal and compliance, and that's going to become more important. Um, and we might see that additional trainings um, needed, especially in certain sectors. Um, if we think about the fact that, you know, a lot of the wealth um, management and wealth kind of professionals have been used to um, being more heavily regulated, then they might not need as much help. But I think if you're in the mortgage advisor space, for example, then they've not been used to this level of compliance. And so they might need a bit more help, especially thinking about things like um, risk and, um, you know, having these robust conversations about chance and probability and risk. So so I think that there's going to be costs involved. So there's going to be um, that challenge of working out how you know, they kind of expand. Um, and if they don't have the time or resource or the knowledge, then they need to have a robust process for referral. So it's kind of working out what they want to do and what they can do so that, you know, for the client, it's the best possible scenario. Thanks, Claire. What would you say to that, Ryan? Okay, so we know that you know, the FCA effectively wants to set out a very clear expectation of how firms assess the price of their products and services and, you know, how these offer uh, fair value. And, and I think this probably opens up regulatory activity in an area that, you, you know, we've not seen before around the fees being charged by advisors. And I think the challenge for advisors is going to be around building a consistent process for assessing value 
but one which is flexible at the same time is obviously it's going to need to take into account you know things like different propositions different pricing models and as part of that firms are going to need to look at you know the costs the benefits comparable products comparable services you know in a level of granularity which hasn't really been done before so i think for me the challenge is building a process to do this and then having strong governance and review processes built around to review. And you, Jamie, anything to add about challenges? Yeah, I would agree with what's been said. I mean, I think one of the key themes will be for advisors around value for money. Now, I, I think certainly all of us around the table on, on this podcast would agree that advisors bring great value to their clients. And I think there's plenty of evidence to show that. But it, it is costly getting advice. And I think there are probably some people, some clients of advisors who have maybe set out with sophisticated intentions of what they might use in terms of products and features and investments that you know now uh, evidently aren't using those and are, are those kind of additional services that are being paid for unnecessary. I think those sorts of questions will arise where clients, particularly with longer standing clients. Um, but I think I think there's a really good point about evidencing. I mean, that's gonna be an area that, that's quite challenging for, for all of us really involved in the, the chain of delivering services and products to clients. And the danger, of course, is that it becomes a bit of a tick boxing bureaucratic exercise rather than one that really adds value. And that's, that's the bit I think we need to focus on as we start to execute on delivering the consumer duty. Thank you. So thinking about our research, I think the most positive thing that surfaced uh, is that 54% of advisors not only recognise they'll need to make changes to their business, but the vast majority of this population are also confident they'll be able to make the necessary changes to their businesses before the April deadline next year. Jamie, are you surprised by how confident some advisors are when it comes to adapting their business to meet the breadth of this FCA ambition? No, I'm not. I mean, at the end of the day, advisors are absolutely at the cutting edge of dealing with clients and customers um, in a way that many other organizations in the delivery chain, if you like, in financial services aren't. And I think, therefore, advisors are very well placed to understand what kind of outcomes their clients are getting. Whereas if you are um, operating a you know you're offering a fund or you're a discretionary fund manager or a platform provider you're not you're, you're one or two steps removed um, at least from you know the end client if you like and therefore it is harder to see through to the outcome that they get and your contribution to that so I'm not surprised I think advisors are just really close to 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 the client to the customer if you like at the end of the day um, but it doesn't mean there's no challenge in there. And as I say, there will still be a requirement on advisors, just as there is on everyone else, to demonstrate that they are actually delivering really good outcomes. But they're well placed. Thanks, Jamie. And given this will be a step change to the FCA's approach, it might be surprising to hear that one in four advisors don't expect to make any changes to their business, mainly because they believe they already comply with the new regulations. So Claire, through your conversations with advisors, can you relate to this finding? And if so, do you think there's a risk that some firms could be underestimating the level of the change that's coming? So this is something that is being um, 
discussed, rightly discussed, um, a huge amount just now. So providers are talking about it, advisors are talking about it, professional bodies are talking about it, and the networks and service providers are out there talking about it at events. Um, but I do think there are some advisors out there who um, don't think it applies to them. Now, that could be because they um, are have already been treating their customers fairly. They've perhaps been subject to the fraud rules. Um, so it's not as much of a sea change for them, they think. So um, it's maybe just thinking, well, there might be a bit of tweaking and they're more familiar with dealing with a lot of regulation. There are some areas, as I mentioned, that there might be more significant impacts and certainly we've been hearing from mortgage broker at protection events that some of them weren't clear on what they had to do and that it would have such a big impact on them so that's definitely one where we've been talking about at events we've been hearing that feedback but even for those advisors who have been doing this and you know providing this you know excellent level of service really looking after their clients it's not just that they're doing this it's that they're demonstrating and evidencing the fact that they're doing it. Um, and there's a section in um, the consumer duty um, paper talking about monitoring and governance. And I think, you know, that's really important to think about that. Firms have to assess, test and understand and evidence the outcomes um, their customers are receiving. So what's good practice? What's poor practice? Um, and if it if that doesn't happen, if there's not that evidence, then how will firms know that their products, their services are performing as expected? So from what we're hearing, that could actually be one of the trickiest aspects of the consumer duty. So even for those firms who, who are um, doing everything in the right way, it's about, you know, if the FCA turned up tomorrow and asked, how are you proving that? They have to be able to prove it. Thank you. Now, I think the most surprising statistic from our research is that almost one in five advisors haven't actually even heard of the new consumer duty, which is obviously pretty concerning. So what do you think can be done between now and next April to help those advisors who, you know, could be sleepwalking into potential regulatory penalties? Let's go to Ryan first. Yes, I mean, look, the, the rate of regulatory change in, in, in recent years has been extreme to say the least and you, you know there's certainly been a lot of regulatory noise you, you know as a practical example of that out with the consumer duty you look at what the regulators doing around their esg agenda so in some ways you know you can see how, how some detail or some awareness may be lost amongst that noise that said i, th I think it was a very surprising finding from the research uh, and i think you know we all have a role to play in in raising awareness and, and supporting the advice community to get ready. Obviously, you know, we, we're hopeful of getting the, some clarity from the regulator in July. And as we approach next April, you know, I, I'd suggest to advice firms, implement procedures to regular review and document your different processes if they haven't done so already. And by that, I'm talking about uh, the investment models they're using, you know, be that um, a, a DFM model portfolio, their own investment portfolio, a package solution, um, document and review, you know, the, the, the service and support which has been provided to clients and everything in between. Okay, thanks, Ryan. And Jamie, have you got anything to add there? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was, it seemed surprising um, reading that. And I suppose when I, when I reflect on it, I mean, I think we've got to be honest that the, there's certainly some advisors thought that it was largely 
something for providers to do, and I'm, I'm not hugely surprised by that, given that a lot of the attention was directed initially, certainly in the press, um, on, uh, on providers and, and the role that they played in delivering on the consumer duty. And it is, by nature of any large piece of legislative change, it tends to be consumed more readily by the big compliance departments as part of big providers in a way that you know small advice firms you know just don't have those sort of resources so perhaps on reflection i'm less surprised and i also think i'm encouraged by the sheer level of articles and events podcasts such as this um that are now taking place so i think even in recent days and weeks we've seen a real step up in the, the public conversation in the industry about the consumer duty. So I, I do think that has either changed even since the very recent research we did, or or at least it is changing rapidly now. Um, and I suppose, you know, I agree with, with Ryan as well. I mean, there's clearly a, a duty upon us as providers to help work with those advisors that we partner with to, to make sure that they're prepared and that we do our part to complement what they do. And I think, you know, networks and, and others will be doing the same, if not already. So I'm not overly worried. I suppose the, the only kind of word of caution is that if there are significant changes needed, then obviously any advice firms that leave it too late to, to start thinking about the duty might find themselves up against quite a tight deadline for actually implementing it. Okay, thanks, Jamie. And, and Claire, have you got anything to add to that point? Just um, agree with what Jamie and Ryan have said. Just one other point I thought it might be worth kind of bringing out is um, that in the um, consultation paper on this, almost all of the respondents said um, that they agreed that the consumer duty would succeed or fail based on how the FCA supervise and enforce it. And, and that kind of speaks to that point that Ryan was talking about. Sometimes when we've had so much regulatory change that maybe people feel it's been getting a bit lost in the middle of it. So actually, um, you know, the FCA have been talking about this a lot, obviously, but it's got to be everybody kind of talking about it um, and really um, sort of explaining how important this piece of regulation is um, and how it's going to be that kind of fundamental shift in how um, consumers are dealt with. Thanks, Claire. I guess we've already touched on this a little bit, but when advisors were asked who they'd look to for help in preparing for the new duty, their network and product providers were clearly identified as primary sources of expected support. What role do you think providers have to play in helping advisors prepare for the new roles coming in? Let's go to Jamie first. Yeah, thanks, Fiona. I think, I mean, I, I touched on it briefly earlier. I think the key is that providers, you know, fulfill their part of the duty, but work in concert with advisors to make sure that we are, you know, collectively delivering good outcomes to customers. We can't just do this on our own. I don't think any party can do it on its own. We're all interdependent on each other to deliver those good outcomes. So that's really important. I think we've got a lot to do in terms of communicating and helping use the might of our you know, bigger compliance teams and, and functions to help advisors work through some of the detail and some of the practical implications. I think there's a more slightly more philosophical point um, as well in, you know, I think there's a role for providers here, particularly to lead, you know, from the front in terms of how we approach this. So if we all, as an industry, decide that it's a box ticking exercise that adds bureaucracy, you know, to an already good 
process for customers, then that's probably what it'll end up being. But if we approach it from the point of view of this is something that will really step up our relationship with clients and ultimately improve trust in the industry overall, that's got to be a good thing. And I think the right mindset is important here and, and providers have a, a significant role to play in that. Thank you. And Claire, what role do you think providers have to play? Um, so and I think this was touched on a little bit earlier, but by helping out with things like webinars and articles, looking at the key components, but I think importantly, breaking down the consumer duty in a way that makes sense to advise our businesses so actually the practicalities of doing it so not just explaining 243 pages in detail um, and what that says or what actually the final rules say but actually what does this mean for your business what does it mean for how you can help your clients what does it mean um, in terms of examples of good and poor practice for example so really helping them by bringing it to life with the kind of day-to-day -day activities they carry out um, for their clients. Um, I think that's where we could probably help with things um, like that. And Ryan, what have you got to say there? Yeah, for me, it's absolutely that point that Claire was just talking about there, that, that practical support angle um, from providers. So, you know, how do you measure value? How do you review your target markets? How do you assess the benefits of your marketing communications? Those type of things. Um, and, and, then, and then secondary to that, it's you know, research papers, this podcast, genuine thought leadership content which you know can can help I guess flesh out some of the colour and, and provide a bit more context and again going back to that point I was talking about earlier you know the the, the amount of regulatory change that has been in recent years I do generally feel as that there's a bit of regulatory fatigue creeping into the market at, at, at the moment so yeah I think it's really really important to provide both practical support and insight Thank you. So finally then, the, the majority of advisors we spoke to through the research are currently sitting on the fence as to whether they believe the new duty will have a positive or a negative effect on their customer outcomes. So given the rules aren't yet in force, uh, you know, this may be expected, but what are the key proof points you'd want to see when we come to measure the future success of the consumer duty? Um, let's go to Claire first. Um, so just about just under half of um, the advisors we spoke to for this research were unsure about whether they were going to t talk to their clients about this and I mentioned that earlier I think that was quite interesting um, to see actually but in terms of the proof points I you know the the um, consumer duty paper actually gives us um, some things you know the ways that they want to measure future success so that actually there's going to be um, customers are going to pay a fair price for products and services, which will mean fewer complaints about poor value and unexpected fees and charges because they're being sold things which are designed to meet their needs. Um, they'll get good customer service and they'll have increased confidence in financial services. And that's really key to me because it might not be that advisors do talk to their clients and explain you know, what's one bit of regulation to a client as opposed to another bit of regulation. But actually, clients do understand when they're getting a better service they you know if they are gaining confidence if they feel that they're being truly looked after um that's where you know we'll notice a difference so to me that proof point of um, increased confidence is, is one of the key things and you know um greater financial resilience across society has got to be something that we all want thanks claire and ryan have you got anything to talk to us about proof points yeah, so as I said earlier, I think for me, one of the key litmus tests is, you know, effectively proving that you 
treating your clients well. Now, clearly, flexible approaches to determine this are, are obviously going to need to be adopted and you know, reflect things like different propositions, different pricing models, different levels of, of, of surface and you know, so on. But I think you know, future success hinges on firms being consistent in their own approach to assessing value. So I guess to give an example, you know, in, in two years time, we might all look back on, you know, this particular period of uncertainty while we're waiting for the rules and think, well, you know, that was a uh, that was a lot of worry for nothing. But equally, some firms might look back on this period and perhaps wish they'd done more groundwork to get ready. So I think for me, I think the key or one of the key future successes will, will be based on how firms adopt these requirements and, you know, ultimately the tangible benefits that that will ultimately bring to clients. Thanks, Ryan. So, so Jamie, you get the last word then. Have you anything to add? Yeah, I think so. I'd agree with that. The, the only thing perhaps is I, I was somewhat surprised by the number of advisors who said they would be or intimated they would be speaking to clients about it. And I suppose in a way that's surprising because, you know, how many advisors would proactively talk to clients about changes in regulation unless it was something that very directly affected that client's circumstances. So I'm pleasantly encouraged by those, you know, those sorts of numbers. I think, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this is about engendering a cultural and behavioural shift across the industry. And I think if we treat it that way, rather than a kind of box ticking exercise, as I've mentioned before, then I think we, we will make great strides. And I think the true test, if I read between the fairly obvious lines from the regulator, is if we get to a position where, you know, we just don't see, you know, the mis-selling scandals through endowments or PPI or, you know, more recently the problems around DB transfers with British Steel, if we don't see any of that anymore, or we see it far less frequently at least, then we must have achieved something in terms of moving away from some kind of mindset that allowed that to happen in the past. And I do hope that this is the start of that journey. Thanks, Jamie. I'd just like to thank all my guests for their time today. And if you would like to find out some more about the issues we've discussed around the consumer duty, please visit our website at advisor.royallondon.com forward slash consumer duty. Thank you. Thank you.